Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Hi, everybody. This is Friends and Fiction, and welcome. We are five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound us together along with some secrets that we will never share. This is not our weekly show, but it's our special bonus Sunday show. We haven't done this before, so you'll have to bear with us. So ladies, please introduce yourselves. I'm Kristen Harmel, and I'm the author of The Book of Lost Name. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey, and my latest novel is Feels Like Falling. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry, and my latest novel is Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my latest novel is On Ocean Boulevard. And as you already know, I already told you this, I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my latest is Hello Summer, and this is Friends in Fiction. Thought we had our summer planned out. We thought we had three months of Wednesday night episodes, but then we just couldn't resist inviting two of our favorite authors, Susan Elizabeth Phillips and Jane Ann Krentz, to join us for what we're calling a Sunday bonus episode. Now, I have done events with Susan and Jane, and I promise we are all in for some fun tonight. <laughs> we're not in for fun. No, we're not in for fun. Sorry, guys. I'm not playing the straight man again. I've had oh. enough of that. This oh, is- you are such a good straight man. Don't give me that. We're not changing all of a sudden. It's always, I always have to be the straight person. Why do I have to be all straight? about me. It's all we about me. one minute into this thing, and you are already off script. Give her, give her. Give <laughs> Susan a microphone and, yeah. and a camera, and it's just get out of the way. I have to play. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to tell you that Jane is the New York Times bestselling author and classic overachiever. Um, she's written over 100 novels of romantic suspense under three different names, Jane Ann Krantz for contemporaries, Amanda Quick for historicals, and Jane Castle for futuristic settings. Fifty of those books were New York Times bestsellers, so she's just a slacker. Yeah. <laughs> for Jane, novel, Get out of here. Her debut novel, Gentle Pirate, came out in 1980. She's often asked why she uses three names, and there is no good excuse. She says it wasn't the plan at the start because there was no plan. Susan Elizabeth Phillips is the New York Times bestselling author of 24 novels. See, she's just a slacker and a beginner. <laughs> Starting with her 1982 <laughs> debut, The Copeland Bride, which was a collaboration, and she says it's now blessedly out of print. <laughs> 
She's a, <laughs> I tried to count. I could find that she is at least a four-time winner of the Romance Writers of America's Rita Award for Best Contemporary Novel. And I got to say, for those of you who are new to Susan, she writes a smoking hot sex scene. I think it's, I think it's all that yoga she does. Welcome, ladies. Remember, if welcome, you, welcome. If you have Thank a question, you. Jane, post it Thank now you. in the chat, and we'll be pulling live questions shortly. Um, as an aside, I want to tell you all that we are all frequently asked by readers how they can find titles in our backlist, which is especially important for those of you who love reading a series. So you can find all that info and so much more on all of our websites, and we'll post that in the announcements. Oh, we want you to follow us on Instagram, and that's where you'll find pictures and posts and fun giveaways, and we'll keep you all up to date on our behind-the-scenes antics. And one more thing, and then I'll turn it over to the ladies. I want to mention before we dive in, tonight our featured bookseller is Anderson's Books. In Yay! Good choice. Yeah, where Susan lives, we'd love for you to visit their store via the link on the Friends in Fiction page where you can order any of our new releases, and that includes Jane's latest. Jane, it is, the latest is The Vanishing, is that right? No, well, <laughs> depends which name. <laughs> the latest. Oh, wow. Okay. With here. <laughs> this is where you just go down the rabbit hole of why did I end up with three names? You don't even want to go there. But the, the personality, latest, yeah. <laughs> the latest under my Amanda Quick name is uh, Close Up. Okay, all right, and Susan's is Dance Away with me so now i know that all of us have been deep there it is that's a great cover too such a good cover Mm -hmm. yeah i know that we've all been dealing with cabin fever during the pandemic susan you've kind of had a different experience you want to tell us what happened to you we went um, out, we, 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 because we've gotten to be such sissies, we've avoided the Chicago winter by going out to Southern California uh, in the San Diego area. We went out for eight weeks and ended up staying for almost five months and buying a condo while we were there. Wow. Uh, so we, we sequestered in the San Diego area, and let me tell you, it was gorgeous. I mean, I can walk out our back gate and down this little beach road, and the ocean is there, and I got to do a lot of writing, and uh, it was lovely, and I was really hating coming home until we got dropped off from the airport here in our neighborhood, and all the neighbors came out to greet us, and the um, I hit the smell of that Midwestern summer. It's it just smells like nothing else. It was so great. So now I'm in the position of no matter which home I'm in, I'm missing the other. And that is a pretty cool thing. That is. <laughs> hey, hey uh, Jane, I know Seattle, where you live, has been a pandemic hotspot. How has that affected your life? And did, did you have um, your most recent book tour canceled as all the rest of us did? Um, we're pretty much trapped at the top of a 38 story building, the elevator becomes a huge barrier. You know, you have to have reservations <laughs> to get on, get, go up and down and and only two people at a time. And it's, it's there's 400 people in the building. So it's, you know, it's very complicated just to get out. And we've stayed hunkered down to tell you the truth. We're living on Instacart and Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't really been out of this condo since March, early March. It's oh my wow. God. I can I can also tell you since we had recently moved just before all this hit, 
and put our other condo on the market. This is not the time to be selling a condo in Seattle. Uh. <laughs> the market. The market is for single family housing where you can get a yard, you know, some place to go outside and walk out your front door. And and the urban lifestyle is fabulous. But, man, we found this was one big drawback. So, you know, that's interesting because we've seen a tremendous spike in sales. I'm sure you have any for everyone along yeah. the beach. It's just, it you know, people aren't even looking at more than two houses. It's just they'll buy anything to get out of the city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have you been more productive, Jane, since you're in lockdown, really truly lockdown? Yeah. I think we finally adapted at some point about a month or two ago. But before that, it was actually very interrupt. I don't know how to explain it, but very distracting. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. not what you think would be the perfect writing time. It was jump up from the computer and go check the news. Go yeah. jump up from the computer and go check yeah. the news. Yeah. And, I, and it becomes this obsession with when are we going to find out when we can move on and then after a while you realize this isn't going anywhere fast yeah and this is the way life is going to be um and then and now you get up in the morning or we get up in the morning and the first thing we look at is the overnight deaths from covid <laughs> it's like ah oh that, that's gotta stop don't do that anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's so cool movies i know but it's so critical because our governor is taking a very firm stand for which we're all grateful. Yeah. But the reality is if we don't keep the numbers down, nothing gets open. So, yeah. um, so the numbers become, you know, really the first thing you look at every morning. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. I know we're all terribly grateful, but it really is just stunning how the medical community and the first responders just keep showing up. It's yeah. just, yes. they're our heroes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Amazing. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. At the risk of their own safety. Yeah. Yeah. Susan, you said that you that you did get inspired and you did a lot of writing in California. I did. Um, for one thing, the condo is much smaller than our house here, so there wasn't that much housekeeping to do. And uh, we didn't have a lot of friends that we had made. So I wasn't, you know, meeting friends. And That's because I, no one likes you. <laughs> I know you're such a sourpuss. <laughs> it was cozy. I mean, I just love cozy, and no, it it was a very productive time for me, and I already see the difference now that we're home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I know a little bit about what Kristen and Christy and Mary Alice and Patty have been doing because we are checking in daily doing our writing sprints. But I thought I would ask each of the friends and fiction ladies. What fuels your creativity at times and like these? Are, have you have any of y'all developed any new creative outlets? I have to say it's the sprints. Y'all saved me, girls. I I was like so many people at the beginning of this. I was enveloped with this whole COVID thing, and and I re I went to the mountains to live because the beach was crowded. But I I just I had ideas and I was kind of working, but the sprints made me accountable to you all, and I thank you. It's what does that mean? Susan, we have been, Patty and I started, this is day 28. We, we start at 7 o'clock Eastern time, so it's 6 o'clock for Patty because she's in Alabama. Mm -hmm. and oh, Patty, I never thought about that. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we commit to writing a certain number of words or pages. We have a goal, Everybody and I, I type, I text everybody, go. 
And uh, first thing in the morning, we're all we're all doing these writing sprints, and it's been incredibly productive. I think for all of us, really. Yeah. How oh my long gosh. Go on. How long? Uh, I think we're going to keep going until we don't want to break the streak. But how long? How long is each sprint? What do you? Uh, as long as anybody can do it. Like, um, well, you guys explain this. I think it, it differs for each of us. So for example, I, I have a four-year-old and he wakes up and my husband has to start work. So I'm a hard out at 8.30 every morning. So I go from seven to 8.30 as much as I can write and then I'm done. Um, but some of you, I think, have, have you know sort of different types of time constraints. How about you ladies? Yeah, mine is whenever Will is absolute mess of my eight-year-old son, absolutely has to have breakfast. <laughs> it's like how long no we can wait for you. until he has to have breakfast. So sometimes it's eight and sometimes it's eight, 10 and sometimes it's eight, 15. Um, but I think for all of us, we try to set that goal and then we try to meet the goal. And so it might not necessarily be an hour and a half. It might be, I said I was going to write 2000 words today and I am not getting up until I write 2000 words. And Christy writes like, I, I don't even know. I don't know how you, you sit down at the computer and the words just fly out. So we're all a little bit jealous. Well, I'm, I'm editing now, so I'm slower. <laughs> Smoke. But Jane, you were just set, talking about how hard it was. And I saw this fantastic, and we're talking about inspiration to keep going. I saw this fantastic New Yorker cartoon. And when, and that's how this started is the five of us got together and said, we can't write. We we're frozen. We don't know what we're like, what do we do with our book tours? And everybody kept saying to us, oh, what a perfect time to write. You're holed up. Isn't this great? Time to write? <laughs> and it was this New Yorker cartoon of a woman in a, in a lifeboat. And there was lightning all around her and sharks and a ship sinking. And the caption said, this is a perfect time to write your new novel. <laughs> and that's exactly what the beginning of COVID felt like. So happy to answer you. What keeps me inspired, not only is our sprints, but as soon... I mean, I think it's the same for all of us. Once we hit on an idea that lights us on fire, yeah. that keeps us fired up. So once I hit that like kind of live wire a couple weeks ago, I was all in. So. Yeah. You know what? I, I will say that watching old movies, yeah. I saw a piece in the Sunday New York Times. They do these movie watch parties. And yeah. uh, one of the ones they suggested was, what's up, Doc? Oh, oh, wow. oh, Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Ryan O'Neill. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, it was Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. And Susan is sort of the goddess of writing rom com. And rom com, the thing about rom com is it's so much harder than it looks. And so, watching, uh, for me, watching What's Up Doc was a great reminder of keep those scenes moving, keep those mm -hmm. lines coming. So, anyway. Yeah, it's cool. You know, Got an hey, about, what about you, Susan? Some new inspiration that you found? The only inspiration I find is butt in chair. Yeah, that's where I find my <laughs> that inspiration. That works. <laughs> uh, don't you get a kick out of people who say to you, "Do you have to be inspired to work?" Uh, I, I sort of say, "Well, yeah, that would get me to my computer maybe once every thirty days." Uh -huh. Yeah, but I do find my inspiration when I'm actually working. Yeah. About There's that line that I think you met, you quoted it and we quoted it. I think Nora originally said it. Um, you can't you can fix, fix a sentence. A, you can fix a bad page. You can't fix a blank That's page. That's it. I there talked to Nora are. about that. She didn't make it up either. We cannot find the roots. <laughs> I credit it. I said it. You should take credit, Susan. It's all you now. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Nora won't know. We won't tell her. Okay, now we've all got questions for you. Mary Alice, you think, I think you've got the first question, right? Um, sure. Your introduction really pretty much established. This is for Susan. And Susan, I've known you for a long time, but I haven't seen you for a long time either. Do you still have the bird clock your kids gave you for Christmas that one year? <laughs> How do you Did you put it in the mountains or in your actual... Oh. It's, it's here in South Carolina. Yeah, it's a little off, but I, st I can't get rid of it because my kids gave it to me. Oh, so on the hour, a different bird sings. It's not the right bird anymore, but a bird sings every hour. <laughs> I remember that because, I, you know, you have had the, your home in Chicago area was just a beautiful home. And you had that stupid bird clock on the wall. I remember thinking, that's a mother's present right there. <laughs> always get such a kick out of that. That bird clock, you will not. I have, I have real birds, canaries. I used to have, I used to have six. Now I'm, they've all gone. I don't have one, but they're being delivered in August. But um, I love the real birds now. So <laughs> anyway, I forgot. I'm supposed to be asking you a question. <laughs> I just wondered about the clock. Come on, let's go. We got to move this along. <laughs> so Susan. Um, as you said, Susan is a goddess, and we were both members, I think a lot of us in this group were members of Romance Writers of America, which is, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the, it's the association for this billion-dollar industry, and, and we've all had roots in it, and one of the things I wanted to point out is that for me, Susan, you were more than just a star. I mean, you burst onto the scene when before, I mean, you had books before, but when Glitter Baby hit, you were, and then my honeymoon, oh my God, honeymoon. And that opening scene of honeymoon, I, I just can't laugh and I, without thinking about it. But one of the things I wanted to know is that because you've been in, in this institution for a long time and in the genre at the top for a long time, you've seen a lot of the changes. Mm -hmm. I'm curious over this 30 year span, what has changed and what has stayed the same? It's funny you asked me this question when Jane's here because I've gotten this question a number of times because I do have a long career and I always quote Jane. I, one of the things I believe is there's more diversity in the romance genre and those of us who straddle romance and women's fiction than any other genre. And Jane always says, it is because for so long, the academics, the critics paid no attention to us. We flew under the radar and we could do anything we want. And uh -huh. I just, I, I thought Jane really hit it on the nose with that one. Uh, there is nothing that I don't think romance writers have tried in some form or another. There's every kind of romance you could possibly could possibly yeah. look for. And we also don't care about barriers. We don't care if we're closer to women's fiction than romance. Or we, you know, we don't care if we've crossed over. We are into suspense or into thrillers. We just kind of do whatever the heck we want. And I really, <laughs> really love that. A bunch of really courageous, smart women. But has it changed or has it not changed over 30 years? Well, or is it just going books, up and down? Some like of the contents have changed in the books, but the innovation hasn't changed. I mean, mm -hmm. look at just the innovation in the beginning with Kathleen Woodowus and those early, early historical romances. Mm -hmm. It's always been an innovative genre. And some of the books that we wrote early on, they're not going to pass the political, political correctness. I mean, they're a little hard to read now. Yeah. But that was all part of the experimentation. And it was also women of a different generation who were starting the growth of the romance industry happened right along with the feminist 
feminist movement. And they're very, very wonderful companions because we had all of those little virginal heroines and those really brutal heroes. And by the end of the book, those little virginal <laughs> heroines had found their power. So I think the books were reflective in the beginning of the feminist movement. And now we're just all, we do everything. And that takes Thank you. into her question for Jane, right, Kristen? Yeah, so Jane, I have read a great quote from you saying that fiction encapsulates and reinforces our cultural values and that romance in particular addresses the values of family and human emotional bonds. Um, I, I love that. I just love the whole idea behind that. And, and I love that you're an outspoken advocate for the romance genre. Can you talk a little bit about how you think books can change and shape us for the better and why it's so important to encourage people to read books that move them? I just think that really matters, especially now. Um. Okay, this is get ready for Jane's theory of popular fiction. So I have always taken the Darwinian approach to these things, which is people have been trying to kill off romance and popular fiction in general for at least 200 years. <laughs> this is the criticism of popular fiction is nothing new. And the criticism of romance is just a particularly sharp extension of that. It, it but it, it <clears throat> You talk to a science fiction author, you talk to a mystery author, they don't get no respect, you know, I mean, in their minds. Um, but here we are, two or three hundred years after the novel, as we kind of know it, has developed, and it's going strong as ever, right? So I think at that point you have to step back and say, why? Because it isn't just entertainment. We have a billion forms of entertainment, and this one is still... Popular fiction is still the dominant form of entertainment. And I think it's because popular fiction teaches us and transmits to the next generation and reinforces and affirms our core values. Hmm. I don't think we go back again and again to an author who violates those values on some level. Hmm. You might read it once or twice for pure shock value, but an author that you're going to becomes an auto buy, an author that you're going to go back to again and again is somebody who's writing values that resonate with your own. And I think that's how we transmit our culture's core values. And the proof of that is that everybody knows what a hero is supposed to do when the chips are down. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the background is. It doesn't matter if he's been redeemed or not. We just know what a hero does, and we know what they're not supposed to do. You don't shoot people in the back, right? I mean, <laughs> we, we, we just have a, a sense of, of what real honor is, and we have a sense of what real heroism is for both men and women, and it involves protecting the weak, protecting the innocent, protecting the young, taking care of the community, the family. Those are real core values, and they're all embedded in popular fiction, all the genres. And that's right. story I'm sticking to well it. Well said. That's, that's a great, great answer. answer. Yeah. That's a great answer. Yeah. I love that. She's my friend. I can just let her talk and then I take her ideas and then I present them myself. I know. I'm like, can I take notes on this so I can quote I her later? This is so that is good. Wonderful. Transcript of that. I know. <laughs> no, she's right. She is absolutely on target with that. She really is. And it's interesting because we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about voice. And we, I think that does translate into voice because, you know, that author who has that cultural values 
and she brings it out again and again and again. That's who she is as an individual and as an author. So I think that ties in beautifully. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Christy, don't well, you? Like I said, it has to have some reason why it survived. Yeah. Other kinds of entertainment come and go. And this will, the idea of a real hero, a, a true heroic action is like we, like everybody understands how heroic it is for these first responders and medical workers to be going into the zone day after day after day. And we know, how do we know that? What teaches us that that is real heroism in action? Mm. That's a good yeah, point. good point. Mm, especially today, right? That sort of brings it back to our opening conversation, doesn't it? It's, it's what heroes do, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris, you've got a question, right? Yes, I do. Um, so, Susan, I am reading Dance Away with me right now, and I love it so much. Um, I'm actually a little bit sad that it's a standalone. I'm sure I'm not alone in that and that you're going to have a lot of <laughs> emails and letters telling you the same thing. Um, so my question is, I mean, I know that you have written series and you've written standalones and do you plan before you start writing, do you know what's going to be a series and what's going to be a standalone and what helps you make, what helps you make that decision? <laughs> Any question I get about planning, I always go, mm, same. Uh, yeah. I was a good person to ask you this thing because I never plan anything. <laughs> um, how I get whether I'm going to write a standalone or if I'm going to write a Chicago stars book, it's really clear. I don't write a stars book unless I have a great idea. If I don't get great ideas, no more stars books because I love that series too much to just say, well, I got to write a stars book and, and write anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to like kind of going from, uh, something that is just sort of a romp into a book like Dance Away With Me, which, you know, it still has funny parts, but it's a very, very emotional book. Yeah, there's I a lot of I don't plan ahead of time. Sometimes I have a germ of an idea, a premise. Sometimes I just have an idea of a character. And I'm one of those people, I sit at the computer and I go chapter one, hmm. And I start writing and I get to page three and I go back to chapter one and then I go through <laughs> to the end and I start chapter two and I'm back at chapter one again. It's such a messy process, but I'm a writer who has to internalize everything. Uh, my background was in theater mm -hmm. and I oh, yeah. need to enter the characters to find out what they're capable of doing, what they're not capable of doing. And mm -hmm. so the plot is growing out of the characters, but it's messy. But, you know, one of the things when I do writing seminars and talking to people who are who are interested in writing fiction is some of that is going to be just the way your brain is hardwired and yeah. once you find your process whatever it is you know you can experiment with other things but make peace with it because yeah. it's just you nobody can write the way somebody else does mm -hmm. i see lots of heads nodding here i think yes. we all know what we're talking yeah about. i've been trying to change the way i write for 25 years and I just can't. How's <laughs> that working out, right? Yeah, it's working for me, but I can't change it. <laughs> it's just. Well, Patty, you've got a question, right? I do, but um, I, I, I have to say, Susan, can you can join the club with Mary Kay and I because we are the No Planner Club. Mary Alice and Christy and Kristen are super. Um, outliners and no, I am zero. I do nothing. I do nothing. 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 I outline like a lunatic. So. But you know, to come to terms with it, and and I've tried yeah. all the other ways. I've tried color coded cards. I've tried the whole thing. Yeah. I am. I know we joked about it at first, but I've got to talk to you about your names. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> so I read 
bartender, Patty Callahan, and Patty Callahan. Oh, right, right, right. And that happened because um, I took a hard left and wrote a historical fiction, and it, it's a long story, but I didn't plan it. And um, now all my historical fictions are under Patty Callahan, and then my contemporaries are Patty Callahan Henry. But those aren't that different. Your names, except you use Jane in one of them, especially Amanda Quick, you know, even the covers are so distinctly different. That Amanda, hold up your Amanda Quick cover. It's so gorgeous. Gorgeous. I love that cover. She's a cover. And um, and then your Jane cover has more of a, you know, mystery feel to it. So I have to know, did you plan it? Which name came first? And how did you get to two names? Okay, three names. I, oh, I, there I, are more than that. There are more than three. See, this is why I never love to go on with her because she's going to pull up my, <laughs> my past. Jane, that's why we have her on. We have her on. She always happens. Her. She's here. Well, it's like, let's book Susan and Jane together because we know they'll get into it. It's like, <laughs> it's like putting a we didn't know that, but isn't this great? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. I just want to say that early on in my career, I lost my birth name because I signed a contract thinking I didn't need an agent. <laughs> and your birth name is? The best, the best, name best possible name I could have had, Jane Castle. Is no, that, a cool, cool romance that writer sounds thing? made up. I know. Wow. It's actually my birth name. Wow. So for 10 years, I lost that because I'd signed a contract that gave a house. And you don't hear about this so much anymore. But back in the day, let me tell you, ladies, it was tough writing. They tried to tie up an author's name. Wow. And that was how they kept you from jumping ship. So I lost the name for a few years, and during that time, got married and started using the Jane Ann Krentz name, which is my married name. <laughs> There's, none of these are good reasons. That's, that's why I said don't. That's why it's so interesting. Yes. <laughs> At one point, I, um, it's not the first time, but it was the most devastating time I managed to kill off my Krentz career. And I did that by writing science fiction romance. And there's one lesson you want to take away if there are any aspiring writers out there is you don't really want to be too far ahead of the curve. <laughs> it's not a good place to be. So anyhow, the, the name was basically going down the, the toilet in terms of the sales and because nobody wanted science fiction romance in those days. At that point, I was faced with reinventing myself yet again, third time. And does anybody still remember Walden Books? Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure, okay. of course. So I walked into the local Walden Books and I looked in the romance section. And at the time, there was nobody writing under Q. So that's how I picked Amanda Quick. And I just, awesome. <laughs> and I just wanted something short and memorable. And I like to take credit to this day for opening up the entire Q section. In the book. <laughs> I'm just saying that. If I hope Julia Quinn has thanked you for that. <laughs> What a great strategy. That was quick. Um, you can't go Z because you don't want to be on the bottom of the... Remember we used to look where the names, where the alphabet fell on the shelves? Yes. yes. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how those three names evolved. And then over time, it's sort of... For a while, I thought, okay, this is it. This will be my new career. We historical. And then another publisher who still had the rights, not the rights to the Krentz name, but still had a backlist, 
said, oh, well, maybe we can make her work. <laughs> so, so all of a sudden I was offered a contract for the Krentz name and I thought, okay, now I got two careers. And then at some point the um, castle name finally came back to me. And I said, well, if I ever do want to do science fiction romance again, because it's kind of my first love, I'll save it for that. And that's, that's how I ended up with the three names, but I do not recommend it. If you can <laughs> See, I, she always says that she doesn't recommend that, but I think it's great because some readers will follow her across all three names, but some readers, they, they want the thriller. They want that Krentz book, and some of them want the more historic settings with the quick. I think it was brilliant. I think we all should have done it. Let's the problem, it. I will tell you, the problem is the promotion. Yeah. You just can't make people remember three names. Yeah, but you've got loyal readers for those. I mean, you've got a great readership for each name. You're just Science. being piggy and greedy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can barely make one name work, so exactly. is just... imagine, imagine trying to, to Facebook, Instagram, oh, no, three names. It's true. just not, it's no, awful. It's yeah. So yeah. how many books a year do you write to keep up with three names? Two and a half is kind of how it comes oh, out. Oh, my God. I'm like, so tired. I know. <laughs> she was writing more than that until we all started yelling at her. Oh. Well, remember, I grew up in category. And in category, you can't survive unless you're doing four books a year. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Debbie Comer mentioned that, too, that it's just yeah. when you're in that slot, you just, you know, that have, you have to keep, Yeah. So I mean, you just can't build an audience unless you do. The books are shorter, so so there's mm -hmm. that going for it. But it's still a very it, you just have to keep writing and writing. So the pace became familiar, I guess you would say. And I do think every writer develops a pace that works. Mm. Um, and I my pace is actually going to pretty much always been three to four months. I mean that's just if I go away from it longer than that, I forget where I am in the book. <laughs> okay, now it's my, it's my turn. And uh, this is a question for both of you, um, Jane and Susan. I know that you're both longstanding members of tight communities of women writers, and that's a subject that's dear to our hearts. So could you talk a little bit about how those friendships evolved and what they meant, what they still mean to your creative process? And also, I would love it if you would tell, we have a lot of beginning writers here and one thing that I've had people ask me over the years is, how do you find your tribe? How do you find your, your people? So if you would talk a little bit about that. Susan? Well, Jane and I actually were just talking about this. Uh, in the early years, R RWA and Old Romantic Times, those were where we found our group. Right. Uh, and, you know, we'd, we'd meet somebody and sometimes you'd hit it off with them, but sometimes you'd hit it off with, with their writing buddy. Uh, Jane and I, I don't, I don't know, we've been really close for probably 20 years or so. And um, it's, I mean, it's great in terms of the emotional support you get and also just the technical support you get. Sometimes we'll have conversations where w w one of us has written, us into a written herself into a corner or is uh, confused about a character and it's all business. And then sometime it is you know, with me, whatever book I'm working on is the book that has crashed my career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll go with that to Jane. I remember early on in my career when I got my first 
horrible review. It was in Publishers Weekly. When they, remember the early days when they were reviewing romance and they were just horrible? Savage. Savage. It was yeah. terrible. I, I read the review and I burst into tears and I called Jane. And Jane was like, this is Jane. Get it out of the house right now. Get it out of the house. Just get it out of the house. It doesn't even exist. Get it out of the house. And it was like that physical act of removing that from my space. I still remember that. Um, so those kinds of relationships, yes, we have other female friends who aren't writers, but you all know that the writing friendships are really, really special because we get it. We get every aspect of it. And I think that's also interesting is the we tell each other secrets and it's a safe harbor unless Jane opens her mouth about something that she didn't know was a secret. It was an accident. I told you, you never told me I wasn't supposed to talk about it. it was a Jane, don't you tell it, Jane. Me, don't you, you dare tell it again. You it. can't say that and then not tell us what it is. Okay, give, give, give. Now you have to say it. When, when I'm ready to make the announcement, I'll let Jane make it. <laughs> awesome. It's, good, it's a future thing. Oh, <laughs> future yes. thing. Good. So anyway, those are my thoughts, Jane. Now, now go ahead and say it better than I said it, because I know you will. But wait, maybe we should just start with your secret, and then that would kind of get yeah. things. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I guess, you know, doctors need to talk to other doctors, nurses talk to nurses, cops talk to cops, people, people within a profession communicate with each other and because they know that those are the only other people who really understand. I think that in a lot of ways, the romance community was forced together because none of the other writers groups wanted us. <laughs> it's like okay um we weren't really welcome in I, w I went to a few meetings of other writers groups and it was pretty obvious that unless you were writing not so much literary fiction but but what we call book club fiction yeah you know it when you see it yeah. um if if you weren't writing that then you were on the other side you know you were in the wrong market for them so i think the romance writers started out because we had one thing in common, which was we loved our genre, but nobody else did, and we were going to build it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think, and it's just you bond. You know, the, a shared passion is a real bond of any a passion of any kind. I mean, I'm sure chefs hang together. You know what I mean? If the people who have a real passion for cooking or something, it's just, and you need somebody who really understands what you're going through when the times are rough. Nice. Yeah, how would you how would you advise people? I think a lot of people when they start writing, they're maybe not sure about what genre they're writing. And how would you how would you tell a new writer? Advise them how to find a how to find like minded people, their tribe, as we call it. Well, I'd say it, the easiest way to figure out what you, most people write what they read. Right. So look at what you're reading, and that's your definition of the genre that you're going to be in unless you're really going in some wildly different direction, in which case you probably know that. You'll probably also realize that. And then I would say, look for a writer's group and you can find them at your local public library. They'll, every, every writer's group in the area will have a connection to your local public library. And speaking as a former librarian, that's where I'd start. And I would just start joining those writer's groups until I found the one where I fit. 
Yeah. That's good advice. I always say to young writers, meaning new writers, find a group. And that's going back to what Kathy said at the beginning, a tribe, but not just someone who'll praise your work, but writers who will actually give fair and honest critiques and not or not scathing either. I mean, some I think it's one of the things I I worry about because I I remember we cut our teeth but not too far apart in a time. There were critique groups who thought the word critique meant tear apart yeah, and didn't understand that critique meant find something positive to say. And so anyone who follows your advice, and I hope they do, remember to be positive and look for what you can do that's constructive. And not every author, young author, wants a critique group. Right. Sometimes they just want somebody to plot with, because I've never been part of a critique group. That I've never had either. Never have either. either. My work. But uh, I want somebody to help me work through a, a plot snag or to remind me that, you know, you right. have overcome this problem before, just sit down and work it out. So there are a lot of aspects, I think, to, to what people want in, in a group of uh, friends, of writer friends. Yeah, and now the, now the internet, you know, is really a helpful place for people yeah. who maybe um, geographically are challenged. Uh, you know, maybe you live in a small town. I have a writer friend who lives in a small town in southeast Georgia, and he, you know, he for, sort of had to find his own community. And so, but the internet, I think, helps a lot with that right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're so Zooming now, and I think that gives a lot more, not, I mean, for us, it gives us a fabulous opportunity to collect, connect with even more readers, which is what I love. I mean, that's been one of the gifts of this whole situation. Mm -hmm. But I think it also gives, gives writers a chance to find groups. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit. Again, you know, part of the reason we started Friends in Fiction was because at the start of the pandemic, we were worried about what would happen with independent booksellers. So we said, whatever we do, we're going to have a weekly indie bookstore. So Anderson's, as I said earlier, is our bookstore of the week. And I didn't know this. I have signed at Anderson's. It's an amazing store. I think lots of us have. It got to start in 1875 as W. Wickle Pharmacy. No yep. way. Yep. Yeah, in the small. <laughs> I did not know that. I yep. didn't. Yeah, it was a it was a pharmacy, and they included books and sundries in their merchandise, and they eventually expanded into a full service bookshop. Today, it's the fifth generation of that original family that still own and operate Andersons, which has been a vital hub in that community. And you all, wherever you are, can be also be a part of keeping Andersons thriving through this tough time for indie booksellers by buying any or all of our books there and we'll have it up uh, we'll have the link to Anderson's up on the website and I know that I saw Susan that um, since it's your hometown and you're back home you can even order autograph copies of Dance Away with me there right personalized just as you put the yeah. order in tell me how you want it personalized what your name is and I'm more than happy I'm going to put my mask on and go over I I, I love it Anderson's in the, the basement is where they keep all the books and oh. and they have lots of desks down there but when I'm going in I'm always talking to them and I kind of I, they're lovely people but I kind of want to say don't talk to me go away just let me roll me shelves down <laughs> don't ever throw a writer in a bookstore you'll never know <laughs> no not ever not, not ever miss going to bookstores oh yeah. it just makes me sad thinking about it yeah okay so we're going to take some questions that have been posted on the friends and fiction page and one um that wasn't posted but all i can think about jane is you know you write this futuristic 
romance. So, I mean, would you ever in your wildest imagination plot a book, a romance with a pandemic written into it? <laughs> no. <laughs> and murder hornets? And murder hornets? And And Saharan dust? Saharan fog. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that falls into the category of dystopian fiction, and I don't do dystopian fiction. <laughs> I'm sure there's a nice market for it, but it ain't mine. <laughs> but you don't, you don't really, I mean, seriously, you don't see yourself uh, writing about that. No, I don't. I don't really. Um, because I'm, I'm writing archetypes and I'm writing, um, you know, for example, with the Amanda Quick world of the 1930s, there's a real dark side to that world. But I'm not going there. I am going with the mythical California of the 1930s. I'm going with the golden age of Hollywood. I'm going with the glitz and the glamour and the and the mythology because it's real too. Right. It, it's as real as the other side, the the depression and all the darkness that was coming with World War II. So I'm picking an you know an area and I'm going for the myth. Um, I'm going for the glamour and because that's where I can get the sparkly dialogue, that, which is my forte is the dialogue. My books are very dialogue. I think it's a conscious choice that you make. So as a writer, I'm probably not going to do pandemics because there's going to be, it, you know what? I think writing a pandemic story would be a lot like writing a war story. And what that means right. is the I war so. is the central character, not the relationships going on around it. Huh. In, in the war story, in a World War II story, for example, ultimately everybody will make the sacrifice for the war. It's the most important thing in the book. And that's what you'd have with a pandemic thing too. Right, okay, Susan, we have a question for you. Um, Kathy Hamdy Swink wants to know, did you ever play football or want to? And if so, what position would you have played? And how much did how did you learn so much about uh, NFL players and the Stars franchise and football? Wow! So you're just like a football maniac, right? Can you imagine me on a football field? Yeah. Um, a helmet. The, uh, I grew up with football going on in the back of my life. My father always watched it on television. My husband watched it. So it was like the soundtrack of my life growing up. Three sons too, right? Um, no. Our, oh, no. We, our boys, are they're musicians and artists. It's like, Did they play football or weren't interested? Not, they don't play football. They don't watch football. Wow. No. It's all, it is my husband and my father. And what I always was intrigued by, I was intrigued by the life of the players. I was intrigued by the idea of these young guys having all this money dumped on them. Uh, very much intrigued by the whole management and the business of it. So the techniques, uh, all the intricacies of football, I don't really understand them all, but Bill does. And, you know, he'll go through the books at the end to make sure they're logical. But it's that that powerful industry and the first Chicago Stars book, It Had to Be You, was putting a woman who didn't know about football right in the middle of that industry. Just the classic fish out of water story, which is one of, one of my favorites. So I think it's just a fun world to put one of my heroines in with these guys and you know, with their big egos and their big paychecks and, and how women maneuver in that very, very male world. Yeah, yeah that's, um, yeah, right. I, 
I'm interested in baseball because my husband and son played baseball, but I am terrified to write a story. And my grandson now plays baseball, but I'm, I would be terrified to try to write about it because I know I'd mess it up. Okay, where I'm trying to keep us moving because we got so much stuff we want to tell you about and talk about. But if you haven't, if you're here and you haven't joined our Friends in Fiction group on Facebook, I hope you will. That's where you can watch our live episodes and ask us questions during the week. If you didn't get your question in tonight, Go ahead and post it there. We go back and answer as many questions as, as we can. And we're also, we'll be doing some more giveaways as the summer unfolds. And, you know, every week, gosh, this has kind of been a tutorial about writing already, yeah. but uh, we always oh, ask yes. our guests to give a writing tip. And so tonight we thought since Jane's written 2,000 books, we would ask for her for her thing. Is the tip just type fast or do you have another one? <laughs> She doesn't write the book. She just types them. Okay, be quiet now, Susan. We're, this is not your question. This is James. I told you. I told you. She just takes over. Um, I would say. I would say probably if you're trying to write or are writing, and even if you've been doing it for a while, it would really pay to take some time to step back and figure out what your core story is. Because it's not the land, you know, the one thing I've learned over the years, it's not the fictional landscape, it's not the futuristic of the historical setting or, or the contemporary, it's not the setting, it's not the landscape, it's the themes and emotions and the conflicts that compel you to write in the first place. And the good news is they can go anywhere. So if you do find yourself like I have had to do and reinvent yourself in various points along the way in your career, you will be freed because you will know that your themes and your conflicts and the things, they're all universal. You can take them anywhere. And it frees you up to think that way, I think. It gives you a sense of, okay, I'm not just only ever going to be able to write paranormal romance or something. And if that market goes, I'm dead meat. You know, it's not that kind of situation. So that stepping back and figuring out your core story, I think, is very useful. Is there yeah. one course? Is there one core story that always resonates for you in your in your books, no matter what? I always come back to the themes of trust mm -hmm. and how you build trust with another human being. That's almost always at the heart of my my stories. I love that. That's I know I have a little light bulb going on right Me now. Me too. About, like, my entire like, oh. future. And I'm yeah. thinking <laughs> about the things that I write about in every single book. That's so interesting. Me too. I right think too. the thing that I think the thing to keep in mind is that it's not that you're going to be writing the same book over and over. You're going to be exploring those themes for your whole career. And 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 I think of it as an endless exploration, not a repetition. Yeah. That's well said. Thank you. Well said. <laughs> Okay, Susan, now you can have a turn. <laughs> Beat that. Beat that, Susan. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to stay far away from that. I'm going to go nuts and bolts. And that is, um, I'm going to talk about the whole timer thing. Uh, some people, in terms of setting goals, set page goals, uh, I found as a writer, especially grow, as my children were growing up, I never felt like the day came to an end. It was like, how do you when you have a home office, how do you end your day? How do you ever feel like your day is over? And uh, for me, the final, the big gift was the timer. I figure out, uh, you know, how many hours every day I'm going to write. 
I sit down and I set the timer. And if I get up to go to the bathroom or to make a cup of tea, I stop the timer. And my writing day is over when that timer goes off. If I'm going to write for three hours, um, that three hours may take three and a half hours. It may take six hours depending on the day. But timer, that's it. Um, And I've also carried that over into tasks like cleaning out a closet. It's overwhelming, right? Set the timer for half an hour. Half an hour, whatever isn't done, it's you just leave it. I use that with cleaning our basement. I can handle half an hour in that basement. I can't handle more than that. I just go down, work half an hour. So the, the timer has been a huge gift to me in terms of finding that closure for the end of my writing day. That's great. Oh, I never That's thought of it that way. Yes. That's great. Yeah, I love yeah. that. We're running out of time. So no, this is so fun. I want to keep know, going. I want more tips. Tell me what else. Give us more. Every Sunday night with you two. I know. I suggest you email or call Jane and Susan because we're running out of time. Mostly <laughs> because, you know, my husband's cooking hamburgers and I'm getting hungry. <laughs> we have some announcements tonight. Mary Alice has uh, a really great announcement. Yes, I'm excited. You know, we have been so blessed to have so many great visitors, authors. And this coming Wednesday, I'm delighted. My friend Delia Owens, who wrote the phenomenal book. It's actually a phenomenon. Where the Crawdads Sing. And so she's coming on Wednesday. That'll be Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And she's a wonderful speaker. She's a great lady. And I love her. We all think of her as as this great author. But in fact, she's a truly great environmentalist. And she has, we'll talk a little bit more about that on Wednesday. That's going to be fabulous. Yeah, Yeah. I hope you hang out with it. I'm back, Jane and Susan. All right, y'all. Instagram, go oh, oh. follow us. <laughs> yes. And I will say I'm at Christy W. Harvey. There is a fake profile on Instagram that's at Christy Woodson Harvey. It has my photos. It has, it is not what? me. And oh, they will not take it down. Wow. But I am at Christy W. Harvey. So Thank go you. follow me. Wait, you know what? We're, we'll put the links on our Friends and Fiction Facebook yes. group right after the show, and you can just click there and find us on Facebook. Or, and find Jane, us on are you under Jane or Amanda on Instagram or both? Jane. Jane okay. and Prince. She's okay. Instagram, though. Honest to Pete. I'm taking over her feed. <laughs> what are friends for, right, Susan? <laughs> I'm an SCP author. And, and, and this is the, and the last picture I put up on Instagram was a picture of her book. This is the kind of friend I have. This is the one <laughs> and she's complaining. I mean, yeah. <laughs> What's she done for you lately, Jane? <laughs> hey, I just want to say something very, this is the last book I finished just a couple days ago. I loved this book. You know what I really loved about it? And I know you're running out of time, but what I got to say is I love the fact that you have a journalistic background. And I was so interested in the whole idea of what is news? What is gossip? What do you publish? What don't you? Um, And I really, really enjoyed this book. So thanks for writing it. Thanks, Susan. The check is in the mail. Uh, that, was, that was 
Mary Kay Andrews. Hello, Summer. If you couldn't see what I was holding up. Thank you. The check, the check is in the mail. That is it for us tonight. Um, thank you, guys. Thanks, Susan and Jane. Oh, it's such a joy. Y'all so so fun. Y'all come back. Yeah, please. Uh, What's Amanda. so fun? Come back. Bring Amanda with you, okay? It's so great to see you again. <laughs> How wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's good to see you all. Hi. Thank you. Well, are we talking? Sure. <laughs> what about Kathy left us? I think she She's forgot. Daddy. Those tips are so great. Um, Jane's so okay. eloquent. Oh my you gosh. Know, honestly, she has a reputation for a long time of being the voice for the romance genre because yeah. she she put it into historical perspective as well. Yeah. She, yeah. She's just a, a, such a wise woman. Yeah. I was, They're terrific. That was my first time reading either of them. They were great. I, I adored them. I mean, personally, they were just wonderful. Yeah. They're great together. Who yeah, knew? Every yeah. week we're learning something. Yep. We think we're the hosts and we have something to say and they they all swoop in and we like scribbling down something. <laughs> I, knew. I know. I know. Well, and the funny thing is, you know how someone can tell you something a million times, but until the right person says it, my husband does the thing with the timer and he's always telling me, he's like, your brain is only sharp, like for 90 minutes at a time. You need to set your writing clock for 90 minutes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm creative. I don't, don't tell me. But now that Susan said it, I'm like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> I have never heard that in all these years about turning on the timer, turning it off. Yeah. And and I think it's a little step further than what we're doing for sprints, in a mm -hmm. sense, because for sprints, we're saying go, yes. make your goal and stop. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, you have to get up and leave. So in a sense, mm -hmm. if we didn't have each other to be accountable for, you just turn off the timer to go stir the spaghetti. Right. And yeah. you, you come up and turn it <laughs> Not back. that we're making spaghetti at 6 a.m., but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also said about what Jane was talking about, which is that question I asked like three weeks, four weeks ago to Kristen Hanna, do we all only have one story? Yeah. And what I really mean is like, do we tap the live wire of something over and over? And that's what she said is that she taps that live wire of trust with every book she writes. Mm -hmm. And right. I think it's interesting for us to maybe take the time and think about what do we tap over? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. you know, as I know a lot of us do this, but, you know, writing slightly different genres or kind of moving our stories in different directions or, you know, writing something that's not completely safe feeling to be able to kind of cling to knowing that that's I true. always come back to this. This is what yeah. I always write about. Yeah, I feel okay. great comfort in that thought now of, of knowing that there might be a core I know. story. I was watching you, anyway. like, I was watching our light bulbs go off, like, completely. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> my in, like the next 60 years of my career just got planned out right and I'm like I'm like okay timer theme check <laughs> yeah yep, exactly what it is but meanwhile I'm going to eat dinner I love you I was gonna so say hungry. I'm that happy note bye girls I love you night, everybody see you next Good week Wait, see you in the morning <laughs> see you in the morning bye Good night. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. 
Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.